Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Amar the Fighter. Hi, I'm JD. I'm playing Tokenek the Druid. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Xanagar the Witch. And I'm Zach, your dungeon master for this campaign. And this is ChimeraCast, a Dungeon World actual play podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at ChimeraCast. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure. If you're a new listener, this isn't a horrible place to start, but there is a nice back catalog of other arcs if you end up enjoying what you're listening to. This episode is going to be dedicated to setting up characters and the backdrop for the sessions to follow. So, Ryan, why don't you start us off with what you're bringing to the table? So, I'm playing Amar Harish. He's a fighter from the lands of Pesh, which are... Just south of Rongercom, which is where we haven't mentioned on the podcast. Yeah, we haven't established that. Yeah, so yeah, we right. haven't info talked about Pesh or Rongercom. Yeah, JD, do you want to do a little kind of info dump on Rongercom? Yeah, sure. So Rongercom is a uh, a dwarven civilization that, rather than most of the dwarven civilizations in our kind of world, which got pushed to live in harsh landscapes. Instead, they used their understanding of architecture to build massive walls around the entire country, basically, thus keeping the rapidly reproducing humans out, but also themselves in. So they've they've fallen down basically now into a warring states kind of situation. There's a massive civil war. No one's really in control, all within the walls, the massive walls. But prior to the to the building of that, and obviously a little bit past that, they were at war with the human civilizations that were on their fringes, including Pesh. Yeah. So Amar is from Pesh, and he is a worshiper of the many-tusked elephant god of war, Hagesh. Pesh has fallen to Nagas, who are like half-men, half-snake things, who slowly infiltrated the country and corrupted it bringing it down and he's sort of fled the country looking for uh another sect of uh hageshi warriors ryan could you elaborate a little bit on maybe the tusk that you find yourself a part of maybe what you're in search of specifically yeah so the the tusks of hagesh are religious sects uh that make up this religion um amar is from the tusk of jubilation which is sort of like the uh, reveling in the art of war and the the like telling of tales around it. They're primarily used as um, bodyguards in the court of Pesh. But now that Pesh has sort of fallen into this state of disrepair, um, Amar has gone north searching for a lost tusk of Hagesh known as the Tusk of Sorrow that left probably like 70 or 80 years ago. Amar's signature weapon is called Lung Terror. It's a gata. So a gata is essentially a, a round globe um, on top of 
a uh, long handle. It's it's they're just um, pretty much big like maces, um, but his has uh, long sharpened fins that go along the globe. Um, mechanically, it's close and close range. Has hooks and spikes, and it's huge. Uh, it's covered in gold, and it has scrawling writing down the globe and the handle that are the oaths that the Tusk of Jubilation takes carved into it. Amara's just headed north to the Gaul lands in search of the Tusk of Sorrow. And it, it might be worth noting, uh, just for people a second time, that this tusk is not a thing so much as a people. No, it's both. It's or each each sect protects like a sacred tusk. It's okay, just not that. Um, but then the people as well are. They are also known as the tusks. Got it. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted. Just in case there's a, a confusion about what 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 potentially they could be, dealing with. Ryan, what what's your what's your look? Just so people can yeah. kind of get a little. So Amar has eager eyes, he has short cropped hair, tan skin, and he's like fat guy built. Like he's very strong, but he has a big beer belly. He wears, uh, he has scale mail, and over the top of that he has a tabard with a dancing elephant on it, and his helmet is carved to look like an elephant's head, and it has two tusks that come off the cheek guards. That's pretty sweet. That's very cool. So I'm going to be Tokenek. Tokenek is from the Sikidic people who we introduced briefly in the last game. Kilut was a member of the Sikidic people who had left. Tokenek has wild eyes, weathered hides, and is bald and tattooed. Uh, he's got tattoos all over his body. And in fact, when he shapeshifts, those tattoos don't go away. He's always marked by them. Um, so I am human. I'm from the frozen north, which is basically where we just were. That's where the Sikidic people live. Tokenek was a shaman and a shapeshifter who, you know, is involved in the rituals and the healing practices and the rules of the Sikidic people. But he left because the frozen ice that they hold sacred as hunting ground is melting and it is not returning. So he left the Sikidic people's lands in order to attempt to find a way to refreeze the ice before their way of life and they themselves all pass away. Um, I'm going to throw my like thing on here. So the Sikidic people and Tokenek is specifically inspired by Inuit people or Eskimo people, depending on where you're at and which term is preferred. Very often in fantasy, we're ripping off cultures. Sometimes those cultures don't exist anymore. Sometimes they still do, but oftentimes when they do, they're European. So we don't really put that much thought into taking them or, you know, having a Hollywoodized version of them or this, you know, this, fantastical exaggerated version of them uh i do want to stress that though this is definitely taking inspiration from those peoples in no way is it meant to be representative or actually what i think about these people uh i think there are a lot of cool aspects and in fact i think the druid takes a lot of inspiration from 
indigenous people in general, but then kind of rubs off any kind of identifying remarks. So I think it's something that's kind of inherent in the class anyway. Um, but I do think that the there are shared through lines and traditions and aspects of these cultures that I find really interesting. Uh, so hopefully no one takes offense to this. If you do, please just talk to me. I'm, I would actually love to. So uh, don't take this as me trying to represent a people in our game because I'm not trying to do that. Exactly. I think we're always trying to be as <clears throat> thoughtful as we can while still playing a fantasy role-playing game. It's easy when it's Sumerian cultures that I'm borrowing from or being inspired by. It's more difficult when these people are very much still alive and still present. So, yeah, I do want to try to tread lightly. Hopefully it's all cool. Yeah, by all means, we're open to a dialogue. I think that should hopefully be the first and foremost of this Uh we we're just four random people trying to do what we can, and if you have a have something that you want to put forward, we're more than happy. You can always contact us on our social media platforms or send us an email, um, whatever you like. Please do. All right. That said, I'm playing Sanagar. Uh, I'm a dwarf. Um, I guess it bears noting, I am a dwarf from a uh, Yarldom from that is not part of Rongercom. We gave that whole spiel earlier and uh now now to just to, to kind of take away from that a little bit i am the ninth son of frothgar who was introduced in the last campaign he was the dwarven king or jarl that what that had uh parlayed with the tornrack and frothgar's jarldom is in the northern fjords so still in those less than inhabitable places and so I'm a witch. What happened was um, one of the options for the witch is that you get your powers via a deal with the devil. Specifically, my grandfather, or Frothgar's father, Hrobgar, swore his bloodline to Avtal, the god of the bargain, in exchange for semi-eternal life. We don't have to get into get into his arc. This is something we've played with outside of this game. But Hrobgar... Uh, essentially gave Avtal his bloodline. And so he used Frothgar to get a kingdom, and now he wants, well, some other things. I have a glass eye. Uh, my eye was carved out and replaced with a red sphere of glass in which my demonic passenger lives. His name is Claret, scion of Avtal. I have long black hair, matted from travel, poorly kempt. I am wearing a, a the hide of a black bear with its eyes gouged out. I'm well fed. I have I'm royalty in a certain respect. Would you say you're low key thick? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm high high key, high key thick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh I'm I'm traveling to the Gauls because Jarl Frothgar is is ill. His uh Yeah, why not? His lungs are turning to stone. And there is a, a a plant here which is said to grow, which will reverse the curse of a gorgon, which I am hoping will also reverse the curse of whatever Frothgar has. Okay, uh, let's make a, another turn back around the table. Let's start talking about flags and bonds. Does that sound good? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, you'll be my uh, 
my standard bearer for starting off. Why don't you tell us what you've got for flags and bonds? Yeah, so my first flag is call me a coward to get me to follow you into a dangerous situation uh, because Amar feels like he is a coward for leaving Pesh in sort of its state of unrest. And then the other one is get into a dangerous situation so that I can defend you. I love that those two are opposite of each other. Yeah, it's really great. I, I <laughs> He is a, a man of inner conflict. <laughs> yes. Um, and then for Bonds, Sanagar owes me their life, whether they admit it or not, and I have sworn to protect Tokenek. You had mentioned that Sanagar owing you his life might have been an inciting incident that brought you two together. Do you have an idea of what actually happened in that moment, that beat-to-beat moment? If not, it's totally fine. If so, I think it just gives a little bit more grounding to your relationship and how you view it. Yeah, so I think while traveling south, I'm assuming, uh, Sanagar was set upon by some of Frothgar's enemies in the Dwarven Kingdom. Why would Frothgar have any enemies in the Dwarven Kingdom? I, mean, I don't know, Civil War or something like that. He's such an agreeable <laughs> person. <laughs> just a nice guy, just misunderstood. <laughs> He's just trying to make the fjords great again. Um, <laughs> that is literally what Zach said when he when that character was made. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Oh, fuck. That's great. Yeah. We're, yeah. Um. Anyway, so being unaware of the political situation in the north, uh, Amar just saw this like single dwarf all bu- uh, by himself, outnumbered by these soldiers and was like I can be a good guy like I can go in and save the day and did and now Sanagar's this weird witch person that is just uh, Mar was kind of stuck with you were white knighting for the wrong one here man yeah exactly <laughs> yep <clears throat> I guess that also leads into uh maybe maybe what's your alignment it's kind of easy to read yours uh <laughs> yeah uh Amar's a good good boy um he his like deal is defending those weaker than him, so fantastic. Let us then move forward to Tokenek. Tokenek's flags are as follows. The first one is adhere to a taboo that I follow after I tell you of it, and my second one is side with me on a course of action that does not involve violence. Is it violence you're going with? Before you you put uh, emphasis on bloodshed. I did, but then I. Th- was afraid that that could, I don't know, be a cop out a little bit. Okay. Or whatever. I think it'll be violence. Um, yeah. Especially for flags and stuff, like removing removing ambiguity is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. My bonds are Senegar smells more like a prey than a hunter, and the spirit spoke to me of a great danger that follows Amar, and I am neutral. My thing is eliminate an unnatural menace. Fantastic. Dope. So Sanagar's flags are tease information about Frothgar out of me. I think it, on a metal level, I think this could be really fun, give us a bit more to talk about on the podcast as well as, and I just think that he's probably somewhat famous. I don't know how far off, uh, far away from the, the fjords we are, but news news of his Ill, Ill health may have spread. My second flag is confront me about my ulterior motives the motives which we'll talk about here in a little bit. I'm evil. I use my 
magic to inflict lasting harm on someone. Fantastic. <laughs> and then bonds. Tokenek does not trust me or my magic. And then I've seen Amara's future and wish to change it. Uh, JD and I talked about uh, having a second bond with Tokenek, which I actually really like since uh, a lot of my magic is transformative in nature, as is Tokenek's. My magic does not work normally on Tokenek. Fantastic. So I have I have two bonds with Tokenek. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all I have right now. Awesome. I think that probably wraps up the character creation session, unless I'm forgetting something. You got? No. I think that's it. Okay. Cool. So we'll transition from character creation over to setting up a little of the background, the backdrop in which our our characters will be entering and exploring uh, with a couple of questions before our first session. Amar, you seek the Tusk of Sorrow. It's a little bit of a general question. Uh, Why? Get into the nitty-gritty of exactly why you're going out of your way, leaving your people in search of this Tusk and its people. Yeah, so I think uh, about 100 years ago, the warriors of Hagesh who before sort of because of their nature and involvement with the government as sort of a Janissary like force they were taking on more and more of a governing role and inevitably that sort of led to their becoming corrupt and the Tusk of Sorrow saw this happening and their sort of domain is the sorrowful parts of war, like strife, like this the spreading of disease, that sort of thing. That, like, becoming the opulence that they were seeing in their fellows wasn't really their bag. And they bailed. And so now that the Naga has sort of taken the upper hand in Pesh... Amar has journeyed north to hopefully find a force that is still, in his mind at least, pure to tip the balance against the Naga. And I I don't think that this is a mission that anybody sent (coughs) Amar on. It's much more that he just sort of took it upon himself and I think in reflection, that's why he sees himself as a coward is did he go because he actually thinks that this is going to do any good or that he's going to find him or that the Naga are just scary and he didn't want to fight them anymore. Fantastic. <clears throat> Tokenek, uh, tell me more about your people's industry or maybe why slash how the preservation of the natural ice is important to your people. You said it's a sacred hunting ground. Could you kind of dip into that a little bit more with a little bit more meat? Well, (laughs) funny that you would phrase it that way. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't really have uh, agriculture. We're semi-nomadic, so we may stay in locations for long periods of times, but then move on when it comes time. But we rely on the northern ice fields it's not somewhere that we want to live we kind of you know keep our homes along the the tundra where it's certainly frozen and often snows over but isn't you know over water but we oftentimes go out and follow along the ice uh, in order to hunt in 
basically deeper water, which gives us access to whales, seals, larger creatures that allow us that a provide us with plenty of meat, but also with everything, you know, else that we need blubber and bones, things like that. And while we'll do, you know, we'll do land hunting as well. There is uh, a definite sacredness to these like oceanic hunting grounds, mostly because everything to us has a soul. And so taking lives itself is like a ritual it is a sacred process wherein we need to survive by consuming these things but then also believe that their souls aren't necessarily different from ours and so it is a it's a ritualized practice to even go on these hunts therefore making the hunting ground sacred for any kind of death is there a right yes ostensibly yeah yeah absolutely fantastic yeah, there are proper ways to handle any kind of death, whether it's a person or an animal. Fantastic. I like that a lot. I mean, even the, you know, the plants and the rocks have souls of their own in a certain way. And so we don't really see that that divide between our people and the natural world. I really like that a lot. Part of that feeds into how I view shape changing, but we can get into that later. Cool. Sanagar, tell me something about your familiar claret that bugs the fuck out of you. Despite my protestations, claret, as as well as my father, insisted that literally everything that I see is transmitted to him. Meaning that claret sends everything to Frothgar. As it lives in my eye, yes. Fantastic. This is a question I think we have already answered... Amar, how long ago did the followers of the Tusk of Sorrow leave your lands? I believe you said 70 to 80 years? Yeah. Cool. I actually always like when that happens because it's just like, oh, everyone's thinking on the same page. Oh, uh, this is a question for the table writ large. Avtal has made a deal with someone or something that resides in this land, the Gauls. What did it ask for and what did Avtal ask for in return? Well, all right, what, what sort of thing would would be making the bargain in the first place I think is an interesting question uh, I mean I'm thinking it's something that like wants this land or wants the land back potentially oh in, I like that I'm into that I'm into that uh, so is it it's like uh, northern bog people like in places in like I guess I think it's England, but no Northern Europe where there's bogs. Um, <laughs> they they would like preserve corpses in the swamp. Is it the preserved corpse, like basically a lich, but like a gross mud water lich, who just wants like its rightful land back? Was sort of murdered and put in the swamp. Maybe like a king. I guess I don't really know enough about uh, or that much about like Gaul politi- Gallic political structure. I mean, yeah, I don't think we've really established yeah. it. So yeah. right. No, I I wrote a small thing. I can give you uh, that now while we have a second. It's literally like half a paragraph. History of the Gauls. The Gauls, as they are currently known, used to be untouched and ravenous swampland. Few that went went in ever came out until King Callum Preus. A stout man with an iron will blazed a path through the swamp 
and formed the Gauls. The, Gaul, the Gauls' treacherous landscape allows many things to grow, and this is where we get into, I was going to ask a question of what grows within the Gauls that would be of interest to, uh, a, as a as a possibly a thing of trade uh, that would make the Gauls interesting to one of people. I think the Gauls are actually not an old, old society, old, like an old, old city-state, as it were. Toad people. Toad people? Toad people made a deal. They want their land back. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> is Preus a toad guide? Toad god? King, huh? Is King Preus a toad? You said he was a dwarf, didn't you? No, I just no, said he, I just said he was stout. Uh, I do I do not currently. Do you want King Preus? So King is King, king Preus is the current king. He uh, he's the guy who forged a path in them. Yeah, the current king is his son. Okay, okay, if that, okay. If that if that gives you it, that's why I said I don't think this is. Are they toads now? <laughs> wait, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> then, if that's no, the it's the toad people who want their lands back. back from humans. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the toads who lived in this like swamp, and then they got kicked out by this king who cleared them out. Yeah, and so now an ambitious toad warlord, toad lord, a wart lord. <laughs> there you go, war, war toads. <laughs> It's my it's it's a, a battle toad. Okay, we can make <laughs> yeah. that joke. We knew where it was going. <laughs> uh, they, one of them, like found out a way to, you know, like almost accidentally, like found a way to invoke this demon of deals or whatever, and then is like, hey, we're gonna use this to get our land back. As for what he wanted in exchange, I don't know. Is there an old temple to Avtal in the Gaul lands that like that's just fallen it is like he's not worshipped there anymore and they, that's the deal is that they they like restore worship of Avtal in the in the Gaul lands I'm not against that I mean if they if you know it's just like I'll give you this but you have to worship me as a god that's fine yeah alright that sounds good I almost like the idea because we're talking about this as like god of deals right mm-hmm. if it's more of like a god of desperation who like there's an exchange of power basically where like he has limited power at this point or it has limited power at this point and then it is essentially trading what little power it has in order to gather potentially more worshipers in order to get more power like that seems to be kind of kind of the mo though like at least the 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 gars power structure like that's kind of how i understand it easy Avtal is trying to increase its influence. And I like the idea of Avtal being like an old god of this area that kind of fell out of notice and out of mm-hmm. worship. Or that his area of influence is like, yeah, constrained by where like these holy places are. It's almost like a pylon. You must construct yeah. additional <laughs> pylons. That's exactly what I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed that we ended up at exactly the same point. <laughs> but I, I actually I actually think that's really interesting is it needs this these sorts of monuments to extend its influence. I really like that. That's really cool. So I'd assume that that would mean that the toads would have to like clear out whatever is currently in that temple. Whatever has taken up residence within that temple and is not worshiping it. But no, so my thought is like it's not humans that have moved in like the humans just left that cuz it's in the middle of the swamp somewhere and whatever but something else has maybe moved in and the toads have to clear that out 
and and then restore worship there before they're able to like gain this power that they need to reclaim these lands. I mean, it's probably like a place of power, like a ri- the ritual move kind of place of power. So lots of different people, things want that shit. Love it. Sanagar. What's up? Why are you really coming to the Gauls? Shadow Army. Shadow Army? Why don't you elaborate? <laughs> There's supposed to be a magical army here that can be commanded somewhere in the swamp. Sweet. That's why I'm here. Frothgar's not sick. Cool. Omar, on your travels, you have met many, uh, and mostly very recently, refugees who have fled the Gauls. They have told horrible stories of the Gauls. What story stuck out to you as particularly odd or sickening? There's some sort of disease or plague sweeping through the Gaul lands that basically people's, like, the liquid in their body starts just seeping out of them uncontrollably and slowly leaves them just desiccated husks. Like the opposite of that guy from X-Men? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, Sanagar, who was your contact you were supposed to meet in Naram, a small village on the outskirts of the Gauls? I'm supposed to meet my older brother here. No. Oh, great. Name? Hyongar. Hyongar. Uh, another question posed to the table writ large. Uh, what is, or, you know, anyone can answer it if they have an interesting name. What is that plant or substance that grows within the Gauls that can supposedly cure stone lung? Aqua lung, obviously. It's <laughs> just <laughs> 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 a fucking flute. <laughs> and you play it for them like each night before they rest, yeah, and they will be healed. It's not magic. a plant. It's a it's a magic flute. You're really into it for like six months, and you can't <laughs> stand it after that. It is guarded by a great beast, the Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> I'll beware the Jethro Tull. <laughs> God damn you all. My thought is that it is a a like viney plant that grows in the like the I mean it, it it grows in like the peat bogs and peat bogs form like pools as they kind of like slough off themselves and so it, it grows and like it is able to it like absorbs the nutrients of dead things that have fallen into these holes that are normally preserved and it like extends its tendrils out and eats them basically. So it's like a carnivorous plant and then it flowers, but it only flowers, you know, every whatever two, two nights a year or something. Fucking great. What about like the blood moon flower? It's like a big red flower that only blooms two nights a year. Yeah. It only blooms when there's a blood moon. This is fantastic.
no mind spiders, please. It's copyright infringement. Yeah. <laughs> Only I can use mind spiders. And that one band mind these spiders I found out. These aren't nano chilise. These are uh, nano filise. Yeah. These are nino filise. <laughs> nino filise Navidad, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally like the the badass response. What are these things? Whatever. Nano Felice Navidad. <laughs> Just we, shoots all of them. They, we traveled through dimensions to wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, the cigar is Honey, there, there are spiders caroling outside. Come look. <laughs> <laughs> My brain. <laughs> <laughs>